You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. So the last few weeks, we've been, not last few weeks, I'm sorry, we're in the middle of a series um, on this idea of destiny. We started last week, and today we're going to continue on, and we've got a couple more after this. Um, but we're talking about destiny, and I realize that's one of those loaded words, especially in, in movies and media. You know, you, you read, you know, watch Star Wars, you know, what's Luke's you know, destiny is to save the universe, you know, so we're not, we're not talking in those kinds of terms. When we talk about destiny, what we're actually talking about is God's unique and preferred plan for your life. So what does God have planned for your life? What is it that he wants to see accomplished in your life? What does he want to see you be? What does he want to see you do? Last week, we talked about the ways to discover your destiny. How, how do we actually find that? And, and realizing that it's not necessarily a, a, a singular path and that if you somehow veer off it, you're outside of God's will or purposes, but, but that there's things that we can do that actually help us discover and find what God has crafted us to do and, and to be as well. And one of the things that we actually talked about there as well is that in this journey towards our destiny about finding and fulfilling what God has called us to do, there are pitfalls along the way. There are things that can derail us and cause us to get off course. And that's what we're going to be looking at the next couple of weeks. What are some of those pitfalls? Um, I know in, uh, coming up, we're going to talk about the idea of life circumstances. Sometimes life just happens. And we're cruising down the road and something comes up that is just out of the blue and that could really mess us up and throw us uh, a loop in that regard. Um, we're going to look at this idea of self-deception. Sometimes we are on this path and we see things the way we think we, they are, but we've deceived ourselves. So we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about this idea of distractions. Sometimes the things we're pursuing in life aren't always necessarily consistent with what God has for us, and we get off track. Today we're actually going to be looking at this uh, pitfall of discouragement. <clears throat> now, there's instances in the Bible um, when someone was discouraged. There's a few of them that are pretty significant. One, um, I don't know if you're, you may be familiar with the story of Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 19, so this, in this story here, Elijah was the prophet of God, and he just, uh, he just had this interaction with, referred to as the prophets of Baal. And uh, just, it was a huge victory for God and, and Elijah. And I'm not going to go into all the details of what happened, but it was interesting is that he was so afraid of retribution from the queen, who was very evil, that, he, that said, even after this great victory that he fled, and he actually fled for about 100 miles. And he said he gets to this point, and he, he actually finds a tree, curls up under the tree, and prays to die. So Elijah was really discouraged in that moment. We also read stories of Nehemiah in the rebuilding of the wall and all the obstacles that kept coming up time and time and some of the things that he went through and the discouragement that he felt there. Then in 2 Corinthians 12, we see Paul in the New Testament. We're familiar with, sometimes you might be familiar that Paul, in, he had what we call the thorn in the flesh. He doesn't tell us what it is. There's a good bit of speculation of what it might be, but there was something that was physically affecting him um, in his life. And he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So why do I think in that little verse, why do I think Paul was discouraged? A couple things in there he says. One, he says, I pleaded with the Lord. He didn't just ask. 
He pleaded with him, and he didn't plead with God not once, not twice, but three times. He went to God and said, God, please do something. And the fact that it didn't happen, and the fact that God came back with the response he did, no, I'm not going to heal you, but my grace is sufficient. I can only imagine the discouragement Paul must have felt at times, knowing that this was, this was his new reality. Have you ever been discouraged in life? That's kind of a goofy question, isn't it? Anybody who's over the age of three has probably experienced uh, discouragement. So let me ask you this. How many of you had to work at getting discouraged? Like you had to prepare and study or actually, you know, that we had to practice being coming discouraged. No one, right? I mean, that's a facetious question. Because we're born experts at being discouraged. We don't have to prepare. We don't have to do anything. Discouragement takes no effort on our part. Nothing. We are born experts when it comes to discouragement. But here's the thing that's ironic. Even though discouragement is a natural part of life, there's some who believe this myth that the only way to fulfill our destiny is through a perfect life. That somehow our life has to all be in order and that we can't have problems and you know, we can't argue with our spouse and our kids always have to behave really well. And we have this, this facade that we have to feel put up that everything's fine, everything's good. And sometimes even think that discouragement or the evidence of discouragement or to even portray discouragement is, is an expression of a lack of faith. That somehow they're not having enough faith, they're not trusting, and, and they spend their whole life trying to live up to an impossible standard to try to convince people that everything's good. Well, the fact of the matter is, life is messy. Life is messy. And every one of us encounters discouragement, but that's okay, because God doesn't expect perfection. God expects what he wants from us is obedience. Another thing about destiny that I touched on last week is this myth to think that you will always like and enjoy your destiny. As we see in the Bible many times, there's many people in many instances where that's just not true that the plan that God had for them wasn't what they necessarily would have chosen for themselves. The fact is that destiny is a journey that will encounter many hardships along the way. And in the pursuit of your destiny, you will experience discouragement. Um, five years ago, May, uh, something in May of 2014, I uh, submitted an application to Regent University, their uh, doctoral program. And I had been thinking about this for years, um, something that I really was interested in doing. Um, and you know, I'd been planning this for over a year, just trying to figure out schedule-wise, how I was I able to do this, and money. That was, you know, and so I did a lot of research to different schools, you know, different programs they offered and what I thought would be best for me. I actually looked internationally, some schools in different parts of the world. Because uh, now with distance learning, you, can, you don't have to live in the city where you go to school anymore. And I mean, so I literally, I spent months, months researching. And again, this is something I'd been thinking about for a couple decades, just in the back of my mind. This might be something I want to do. And I knew in the, even with my parents, especially my dad, that he kind of had this thing of this idea of one of his kids getting their doctorate. And 
So anyway, so I finally settled on Regent. I thought this would be the place that would be best suited. It had the program that I wanted and needed. And so I sent in the application, and I waited. I, and I've said this before, I hate waiting. You know, and especially when you're waiting for something like this, you know, and it takes weeks for them to actually get back to you. And uh, late on a Friday afternoon, our mail always, at where we lived at the time, the mail came at the end of the day. I mean, it was... And this was Friday afternoon. Letter comes from Regent University and said, thank you for applying. And there's a bunch of nice things that said. And then it said, we regret to inform you that, you are not, that we are not able to offer you admission. I was devastated. It was, um, there was no explanation given. It didn't say that, you know, you fell short in these areas or here's the problem or this was, it was, it was just thank you, but no. I was so discouraged. I was crushed. And I just, and, and here's the thing. It was, it was late on Friday afternoon. I mean, everything's closed by now. I had to wait a stinking weekend before I could even call anybody. So I had to live in that emotion until Monday. I was crushed and I was just devastated that whole time. And I've learned that discouragement means to be broken down, crushed, and to lose heart. It's, just, it's, it's that emotional feeling. And Monday morning arrives, and I call the school, and uh, I get an, an admin, an admin you know, not, not a high-ranking administrative assistant person. And um, you know, she didn't know who to direct. She said, well, can you tell me, you know, how, why was I turned out? And she's like, I'm an admin here. I don't know what, uh, but she said, she said, I have no idea. But then she says this, and she also said, there's no one here right now that you can talk to that, that's even available to talk to. Um, but she said, here, here's how the process works. Three faculty members read your application package because there's a number of elements to it. Two of them have to agree that you're qualified to take the program. So clearly, Two of them didn't think that you were qualified to take the program. And I'm summarizing the conversation. She was gracious about all, but I just felt like dirt by the time I was done. And there really, there was no hope that there was any recourse, that there was any way to do anything. And it says, if you want to talk to someone else, you'll have to <clears throat> you know, call back tomorrow. And uh, so I got another day of just wrestling with this. Right? Why, 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 why was, again, I'm just, overwhelmingly discouraged and so and I'm we're trying to figure out what do I do now you know what what and I'm talking with Betsy and you know do do I apply to another school do I just try this again I've gone through months of research and this was the one I thought was best and do I just go to no one else or do I f try to find out and appeal the decision that was made just to find out you know what was it and can I counter it or do something and or is this a wall that just says, you know what, this is the end of the road. I just need to give this up, and it's just not going to happen. So for me, the emotion of the moment was that I didn't know how to interpret what I was seeing. There was all this emotion. The reality was that they said, no, we're not in the program, but I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what to do with that information. And that moment, that feeling, where there's this connection between discouragement and our destiny. Because discouragement creates a barrier between you and your destiny. Discouragement can cause you to give up, to quit. And that's exactly where I was at that Monday night. 
what do I do with this? What it just now it's important to realize in your in the midst of a discouragement that I refer to them as as, as in, discouragement boosters. These are things that actually accentuate your feeling of discouragement. Sometimes that we focus on our own shortcomings, our own insufficiencies, which is where I was at now. It's like, well, why? Maybe I'm just not capable. Maybe I'm. I'm just not able to, maybe this is beyond me. Maybe, uh, maybe I'm overreaching what I should be able to do. And maybe I'm not cut out for this kind of a program. And I'm going through all those mental gymnastics of that. But sometimes we focus on our own insufficiencies. Another booster, if you will, is that we're physically or psychologically drained. Why do you think most couples have arguments at night? That's when we're physically tired from the day, emotionally, and it's just we have less bandwidth, if you will, to deal with things. And sometimes like, hey, can we really, can we just talk about this tomorrow? <laughs> Everything's always better. That's my slogan. Everything's always better in the morning. It just is. So let's, let's, let's sleep and let me talk. And, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But, um, but when we're physically and emotionally drained, Discouragement is much more prominent. The potential for discouragement is much more prominent. Sometimes another booster to discouragement is disheartening words of someone that just sucks the wind out of your sails. How many of us have stopped pursuing a sport or an art or some trade or some other type of thing because someone else said something negative about our abilities? Really? That's really, that's the best you could do? Huh? The last one I think is it really accentuates this feeling of discouragement is this, we feel as if we're alone. This feeling of isolation that no one else knows what I'm going through. When you feel that, discouragement is just magnified ten times over. So if you're feeling discouraged, take stock of some of what might be some contributing factors to that. Besides the incident, I mean there's that, but Go to bed, get a good night's sleep, talk with someone. I've always made this a policy, and I've told my kids this time and time again, never make a long-term decision based upon the emotions of the moment. Give yourself a little time to think it through and work it through. That's what discouragement. Remember this, discouragement is an emotional response to a real hardship. The hardship is real, but discouragement is an emotional response to that. But it's a real issue that we're dealing with. Discouragement is not imagined. It's not just in our head. It's not understood up here. It's felt down here. Discouragement is here. It's an emotion. And that's, again, that's where I was that Monday night. And uh, I'm talking to Betsy, and we're, you know, kind of explained to her all, just, uh, I'm, an, I'm just this cauldron of emotion of my mind's all the places, all the different options, and not really sure where to go. And you know, how do I interpret this? This is the door that is closed and I should give up a hurdle to get over. I need to find another option or, or course here. And Betsy just, you know, listened to me talk for a while. She just, well, what do you want to do? And in that moment of clarity, I heard myself say, I want to go to Regent. Okay, then figure it out. Um, 
What was interesting in that very moment, I also had a shift in how I needed to approach this. I'd been trying to figure out why was I turned down. And I came to the conclusion, that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. And instead of trying to find the process, I, the next day I sent an email to the dean of the school and said, basically, you need to reconsider my application and here's why. Two hours later, I get a response from the dean saying, give me a day to look into this. Um, so again, I have to wait. You know, so now I hear Friday, and now it's Tuesday night by the time I'm hearing this. And uh, 24 hours later, I get an email from the dean, and uh, she said, we've reviewed your file, and a formal letter will be coming to you tomorrow, but you're going to like what you see. Next day, this email arrived, or the letter in an email arrives, and again, it goes through a number of things, and it says, congratulations, it's a great honor, privilege to inform you of your acceptance into this program. To this day, I have no idea why I was not accepted the first time. I have no idea who the faculty members were, most of whom I then had as professors, you know, as I went through the program. I don't know what the conversations were that changed it, and I don't want to know at this point in time. <laughs> but here's what I've learned in this. Hardship viewed negatively produces discouragement. If you look at your situation as a negative thing, you're going to become discouraged. Hardship viewed positively produces encouragement. Again, remember that discouragement is an emotional response to a real hardship. So how we perceive that hardship will greatly impact our emotion to it. So let's revisit Paul. I talked about him at the very beginning, about his thorn in the flesh and the discouragement that in, I would think came up to him time and again. He writes again, and he's writing to the, the church, the group of Christians in Corinth. So he's been with them, he's spent some time with them, and there's now a group of people, a group of Christ followers, and he's writing to them about just some of the dynamics of life. And I'm going to pick up with verse 23 of chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, if I could have that, Erica. Okay, so are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. Now, preceding this, he's talking um, sarcastically. Um, and so he, he's, he's overstating the case to make a point. So when he says he's out of, out of my mind, basically he was conforming to that sarcasm was what he's doing. But then he gets serious in this next part. He said, he said, are they servants of Christ? I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers." I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. 
Who is weak, and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. That's quite a list of things that he's gone through time and time again, all for the purpose of sharing Jesus with people. And you've got to realize, I've got to think that there's many days where Paul is like, man, why do I do this? this I had a good life before. Why am, I, why am I doing all this? And what was this about? And I mean, I can imagine Paul feeling really discouraged. Um, but interesting, in another letter to the church that was in Rome, to that group, he actually made this comment about the suffering and the things that he has to go through. Romans chapter 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Think about that for a second. We rejoice in our sufferings. And part of me that says, what are you, nuts? You know, like, who are you? What? That's just not. That's not human. That's not normal. It's not real. And but when you actually look at it a little bit, there, I think it's significant that it says we rejoice in our sufferings. He doesn't say we rejoice for our sufferings. Huge difference. Paul's not a masochist. He's not saying the more pain, the more suffering, the better. That's not what he's saying. He's not someone who likes suffering for the sake of suffering. He's not saying that I thank God that I'm suffering. What he's saying is that in the middle of my sufferings, I will continue to thank God. I will continue to worship God. I will continue to give God honor and glory, not because of my circumstances, but because of who he is. So here's what I know. Paul saw a greater purpose to his sufferings. He realized there was something beyond just what he was going through. That there was a reason for that. And it didn't make suffering any less difficult. I mean, he still had to go through, he still went through all the things he went through. But it eliminated the discouragement. Which allowed him to persevere. I mean, many of us as parents, if we've the discouragement of cleaning up time and again and you know all the things that we do and encounter with kids along the way but realizing that there's a hope <laughs> that, that there's going to come a day when they're able to do this on their own and they're going to be not just you know they're not just going to be able to survive but they're going to be incredible contributors to our culture and our society and so it gives us reason and meaning and purpose that again doesn't make the chores or the tasks any less difficult, but it takes away that discouragement. How you view hardship will determine how you go through it. How you view hardship will determine how you go through it. With my school um, application, I had to discern if this was a closed door or a wall to get over. Once I determined that this was a wall to get over, I wasn't, I wasn't discouraged anymore. 
I wasn't, uh, and I, that's how I proceeded. The decision to press on removed the feeling of discouragement. Um, in two weeks, some of you know this, um, for the last 10, this is my 10th year, I've actually uh, uh, worked with an organization out of Colorado Springs that provides a Master of, uh, of Arts program in organizational leadership, but they deliver this program in indigenous institutions in developing countries. So which means they, but they provide the faculty and the curriculum. So they fly me to a different country, and I do a week of residency, and then there's three months of assignments that we go back and forth with. So in two weeks, I'm actually going to be in Abuja, Nigeria. Um, and, I met, and I mentioned this is the 10th year I've done this, but I've had a chance to go to India, um, Nepal, uh, and uh, Uganda, and now Nigeria. Um, but here's the thing. I can guarantee, because this happened nine times, I can guarantee you on this 10th trip, It'll be somewhere, so I'm flying Charlotte, Detroit, Detroit overnight to Paris. You know, so you land in the morning to Paris, and then from there, the trip down to Nigeria. And it's about halfway to Nigeria then, somewhere over the Sahara Desert. I'm going to be sleep deprived. I don't sleep on planes, and it's, I'm going to be, my thought, there will be a thought, I can guarantee this, my thought is, why do you do this to yourself? <laughs> What is wrong with me? Why do I do this every stinking year? I say, this will be the last year I do this. And because you just feel terrible. Any of you who have traveled, especially to the continent of Africa, it's not easy to get from here to there. It's a circuitous route and it takes time. And I think it's like door to door, it's 30 some hours. And it's just, it's just hard. And I get there though. And, you know, get a good night's sleep. Everybody said that could be a part of it. And I meet the students. Usually there's around 20 of them. And I hear their stories of what they've done to get there. The sacrifices they've made to be a part of this time. And the people that they influenced back. One of my students and uh, one of my groups, he was the, a bishop. He oversaw 30 churches in his country. And I realized, wait a minute, what we're talking about here is not just going to help him. There's 30 churches that potentially are impacted. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I get it. I'm still jet lagged. I still feel like dirt. But you know what? It's going to be okay. And I'll probably do this again next year. Um, It's amazing how I go from never again to God, I can't believe I get to do this. You are so good. And that's what it means to boast in the Lord. To put attention on him and not our problems. To rejoice in the Lord in the midst of a difficult season. Not because it's gone, not because we know it's going to change or be different, but because of God is worthy of our worship and our praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for, um, thank you for Paul. And for, uh, in some ways, Lord, his life is really intimidating because uh, he has a standard that really is almost impossible to live up to. Uh, at the same time, Lord God, it's very encouraging because I realize for someone like Paul, he went through life. It wasn't easy. In fact, it was probably harder on him. He encountered things that most of us will never encounter in our lives. And he encountered them frequently, time and again. In the midst of that, he could say, God, you are God, and I'm going to worship you because 
in this process, I'm actually going to draw closer to you. So, Father, my prayer is that this morning, if there's anyone here who is struggling with discouragement, that you would give them the grace and the ability to take their eyes off of the circumstances and to be able to give their attention to you. And it's not even necessarily that you're going to fix the problem. It's just the fact that you will bring peace. You bring hope. Father, you bring, uh, Lord, you bring you. Father, when we encounter you in such transformational ways, our lives are changed forever. And so that's my prayer for anyone who might be feeling discouraged this day, that your grace and mercy would be upon them in such a way that, Lord God, that they would be able to look at their circumstances as something that they're going through, but not something that's defining them. It doesn't define their life. And Father, in the midst of that, that they would encounter you in ways they've never encountered you. May they find your peace that's beyond all understanding. May they find comfort. May they find hope. May they find your provision. Lord, may you provide for them what they need in this season. In the midst of this, Lord God, as they turn towards you, Father, may their problems and may the, 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 they diminish in their sight. May the discouragement be removed. And Father, in its place, may there be faith and hope and love. And Father, again, we're just so thankful that uh, you don't leave any of us where you find us. Lord, when we find ourselves in a difficult place, um, we can be confident that you're not abandoning us. Uh, that uh, you're not just checking out because it's gotten too tough and you don't want nothing part of it. Lord God, we know that when times get tough for us, Father, you are actually closer than before. Help us to be conscious of that, I pray. So, Father, I just pray for each one here. If they're in a season of discouragement, that they would be encouraged. And, Father, if uh, one's around the next bend in our life, around the path, I pray, Lord, that you would prepare us, Lord God, for what might be there. Lord, that we would live lives, again, of hope and expectation, not of discouragement. So, Father, we commit this to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.